Hey, welcome. Let's uh, begin with the word of prayer. We are finishing up here our last uh, session on uh, on discipling, and next time we're going to begin a series on on defending the faith or apologetics. What? How do we uh, defend the faith? Um, you know, First Peter three fifteen, I think it is, says that we should always be ready to make a defense for the hope that we have within us. And that idea of making a defense is the word from which we get ap- apologetics. And so that's what we're going to look at for the next uh, 12 or 13 weeks starting next week. All right, but we want to finish up on discipling this week, so let's pray and, and uh, ask God's help as we do this. Father, we uh, recognize that every knee will bow to Jesus and we long for that day and we wish all of our friends and all the people that we know would, would acknowledge that as well. And we pray that You would help us to be conduits of Your message, that we would speak and proclaim Your Word uh, to the lost around us so that they will bow willingly instead of unwillingly. And um, Lord, we praise You for His uh, rule and reign over our lives and we pray that it would affect a real change in us and a willingness to give ourselves to You, to give our lives as living sacrifices. And Lord, we pray specifically that that, that would work its way out in, in our relationships within this church, that we would get into close relationships or, um, or affect the close relationships we already have by by encouraging one another with the Word of God and by um, challenging one another and holding each other accountable with Your Word. And we pray that we would not be afraid of uh, using some of these methods that we've talked about and um, and uh, most importantly that our Savior would be glorified through our efforts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this final week, we want to touch on two subjects um, the dangers of discipling, both to the discipler and the disciple, and then secondly, the joys that God gives us in discipling others. So first, we're going to consider seven dangers for discipling relationships. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we walk through these dangers, think specifically of a discipling relationship that you have and then consider some attitudes that, that may have popped up. What are some of the negative characteristics that discipling could cultivate in the heart of the person who's doing the discipling? So what, what are some negative things, some dangers? And the first one, the first four really have to do with the discipler and the last three dangers have to do with the disciplee. Uh, so first, the... Uh, the danger of self-importance. The danger of self-importance. If you've been in a relationship where you have worked to disciple someone else, you recognize the temptation of putting yourself on a spiritual pedestal um, that, that we see ourselves as important because, hey, we're meeting with and influencing a younger Christian or a less mature Christian. And so we're tempted to think that we are the source of change in that person's life. And... Um, and it can lead to us um, uh, 
having a great deal of pride about our gifts and our you know giving our our time and our energy to these to this uh, person and so we might attribute the actions the effect even the 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 uh the progress the growth and the success to our work and so the danger of self-importance but Paul here in 1 Corinthians saw a, a tremendous change in the lives of other, others through his work. But look at how he describes himself here in 1 Corinthians 15. And someone please read for us verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles that, was, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So, if we use the model of Paul here, how does he think about himself before he thinks about how he relates to other people? How does he think about himself there in verse 9? He, he sees himself as... as um, as of little importance in the things of God. Not that he can't affect change, but but that he is unworthy to be uh, to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church. In other words, he recognizes his former condition. He he has this healthy sense of fear that you know what I was so close to death and yet Christ saved me. He rescued me, and and yet for some reason he he allows me to do his work. I mean that's. It's simply amazing. It's it's like a um, you know person who's in a burning building, and they are so close to being consumed by the flames, and then the the fire the, the the fireman comes and rescues him or her from the burning building, and yet the fear is still there in the person who is in the burning building. Right? It doesn't go away, and that's a good thing. It reminds them of how they were rescued. And I think in a similar way, we ought to to see that, that we still are in ourselves unworthy to be to have been rescued from that flame. And yet, that's what God did for us. He did that for us. And as we have that healthy sense of ourself, which is actually a sense of unworthiness before our God, then we can say this next verse, By the grace of God I am what I am, so he's he's attributing what he is to God's grace, not that he can't do anything, but that what he does do is by the grace of God. And then he says in the last part of verse ten, "I labored even more than all of them." You know, you know why I see so much advancement, so much progress in spiritual things with regard to the relationships that I have. It's because I've worked hard. It's, it, I don't just kind of float around and, and expect things to happen uh, through the Christian life. Instead, he he works hard. And so, in all this, and yet, notice the last phrase, by the way, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. So, yes, I work hard, but it's God's grace that gets the credit, ultimately. God gets the credit because of His grace. It's, it's, that's really what it is. It's not about self-importance. I've done such a good job in discipling this person, but rather God's grace working through me. We are sinners and it is purely by God's grace that we have been rescued from God's eternal condemnation. And we need to keep this in view if we're going to have any proper progress in the things of God 
Uh, James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of heavenly lights with whom there is no shifting of shadows. That, that every good thing that you have in life cannot be attributed to you. That, that it is from God, from above. So, number one, self-importance. Secondly, self-reliance. Very similar, but, but a little bit of a nuanced difference. Self-reliance. We can get so caught up in our discipling relationships that we forget to turn to God for answers. We're quick, we're, we're quick to give answers right out of, you know, kind of, like they say, shoot from the hip without considering what's going on. We're so preoccupied with the details, the sins, the struggles of our horizontal relationships that we forget to turn to God for the grace and the strength that we need to equip us. We forget to ask God, what are you doing in their life? What is it that you want me to do to help them? And so as disciples, we need to turn to God quickly and rely on Him. We need to be, instead of quick to make an answer, we need to be slow to give an answer. We need to be quick to listen, quick to turn to God in prayer. And that shows our dependence upon God rather than our own self-reliance. And so as a discipler, we need to be consistently reminded that it's not us who's ultimately going to provide the answer, but it is God's Word. And so we should ask questions like, am I, am I responding too quickly? Have I taken time to search the Scriptures to see what God might say about this situation? Self-reliance can promote quick and less careful responses to our discipling friends' struggles and in the long run can be unhelpful. And so we need to rely on God. And when we do, we'll, we'll uh, find better spiritual success both in our life and in the life of, of the person that we're discipling. Alright, so first, self-importance. Secondly, self-reliance. Third, program-minded, the danger of being program-minded. Discipling is a process. It takes time. It's It's not a program. Sometimes we get caught up in our discipling agenda that we look overlook some of the immediate and general struggles that our friends have because, hey, we're on a we're on a timetable here. This is where we we got to get to this end goal. Whether it's you know we're planning to study through this book together, and you know the the the, the person that you're discipling says, you know, I'm really stuck on this one area, and it's a significant area that's that's troubling them. And you say, well, we got to move on to the next chapter. I'm sorry, we just need, we need to keep moving. And uh, that that can be the more program or task oriented type approach to discipling, which can often be unhelpful. So don't let your concern with implementing your agenda. It's good to have a plan. I I love to have plans, um, but but if we um, if we are so stuck to that plan that we miss out on on some very important teaching opportunities, then then uh, we we can do harm to to the person by um, by not speaking to a specific issue that they're dealing with. So don't necessarily, if you're, you're meeting with someone that you're working to encourage and, and challenge and help them to grow, don't always start, you know, the time that you get together with a preset agenda. Be willing to tackle unexpected crises that have come up, you know, and just ask basic questions. How are things going this week spiritually? Uh, what kind of things have you been struggling with? And and be willing to adapt as problems arise. Uh, and then also, 
if you're working through a certain set of materials, you know, we've talked about various things that we can use to help. One of the things we've talked about is just reading through the Scriptures together. So just pick a a passage of Scripture and read through it. but what if you're reading through a book? We talked. We took a whole class to talk about that. What if you're reading a good Christian book and you you kind of uh, get lost in in some of the the big words or some of the deep theological truths? If that's the case, if the material does not seem to be helpful, then don't be so proud that you're unwilling to consider a different course of action. Okay. Uh, again, if you're if you're changing all the time, that might not be a good thing either. Because there's no, there, there tends to be no structure. But but if you're, if you're not making any progress, if if things seem to be hitting a brick wall, then don't be afraid to change. You know, if you said let's let's over the next 40 weeks go through whatever Calvin's Institutes or something like that, and um, and it, it's not providing much value, then maybe it might be time to change and and work on something a little bit less meaty. All right, number four, and then we'll take uh, I'll take questions. Uh, the danger of having a sense of failure. A discipling relationship um, can can progress or uh, or or can can uh, go backwards because maybe you don't see any growth or or you see your friend trapped in some kind of particular sin. Um, maybe there are some obstacles that are keeping you from from advancing and encouraging them. Maybe you feel like you failed in the discipling relationship. Maybe um, you might come to the point where you're so disappointed in the relationship that you begin to doubt whether God really can work through His Word. And so, if that's the case, if you have that sort of sense of failure as you're working with another believer helping them to grow consider that that you are not the only means that God is using to help that person grow you realize that okay you are not the only means that God is using to help that person grow when you disciple someone within the context of a church there are usually multiple means other relationships that they have um they they hopefully are personally studying the scriptures they are hopefully pr- hearing the preaching of God's word they hopefully are uh, being discipled in classes like this. Um, so there are many other means by which God causes growth. You are simply one of those means. Okay, So don't feel like all of the weight of their spiritual growth falls on me. Consider also the promise of God's Word in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 that God says, when my Word goes out, it will not return without accomplishing what I set out for it to do. Okay, so in some case, God's word hardens. You know, it's like the sun; it hardens the clay. It, it makes them more hardened to the word of God. Or, obviously, in the case of a believer, it softens them. It melts their heart. It it illumines their minds. And hopefully, it's doing the same for you as you're as you're working through this uh, study of the scriptures as well. So, don't let a lack of tangible fruit cause you to think you're doing no good for the work of God and just I'm just going to abandon the whole thing. Try to be less focused on yourself and more focused on God's Word as a means of change and pray that God would use you to minister His Word to the, to the extent that He wants you to. Um, again, God has, God has a much bigger reach 
in the life of a person than you do. So you might be saying, well, I'm trying to reach in to that person's heart and, and see this part change, and so I'm going to speak to that. And that's good. You should have kind of some sort of a plan to, to you know, I, I'm going to try to help them in this way by allowing the Word of God to speak to them. But recognize that God's got a, a much uh, uh, farther reach than you do. And then um, if you feel like there's a sense of failure, maybe be willing to encourage them to meet with someone else. There's nothing wrong with ending a discipling relationship if it's just not working. The the kingdom of God and the work of God does not begin and end with you. It does not begin and end with me. If God is not using you to help that person grow, um, then be humble enough to admit and en- admit it and encourage them to find someone else. All right, any questions on these first four dangers of the discipler? All right, there are also several dangers that the, the, the person that you're discipling um, may encounter. And the, the first, uh, which is the fifth danger, but the first one in this category is inappropriate intimacy. That is, uh, in cross-gender discipling. So, studying together, sharing together, praying together, that's going to pre- present a very close setting. And so... Discipling someone of the opposite gender can lead to an inappropriate intimacy between a man and a woman. And so, while there's no specific command against something like this in the Scriptures, I would say it's a matter of wisdom. And wisdom would say to be be careful about those kinds of relationships. Instead, I think it would be better to find someone that's of the same gender as you. Um, That's why you have uh, Paul, I think, and... I think it's Titus where he says, you know, older men ought to be teaching younger men and older women ought to be teaching younger women. I mean, aren't you thankful that we have godly ladies here in this church who who can teach younger women? And hopefully um, you recognize that, that you are farther than some of the other ladies within this church and you have a responsibility and the ability to be able to teach them uh, whatever limits you may think you have. The same thing with the men. Um, men, uh, There are many godly men in this church. Many of you are godly men and you ought to be finding other people who are younger than you in the faith and younger than you biologically and and um, using that as an opportunity to to help them to grow. So, uh, so the danger of inappropriate intimacy. Secondly, the danger of dependency on the discipler. The problem can be that after meeting for a while with the person, you, your friend might become dependent on you and think that you're the answer to everything. Um, that that if they have a question on anything, they come to you. And that that's not a bad thing necessarily unless they become completely dependent on you and they stop going to God in prayer. And they stop seeking other wise counsel besides you. As disciplers, we need to encourage them to build up Christian disciplines and knowledge for themselves that they might have a personal walk with Christ. And so for things that you do together, like Scripture study and prayer, maybe have them teach you what the passage says so that they're not just saying, you know, you, you come to them, you have some truths about the Scripture, you want to explain them to them, to the person, you explain them, and then they're like, yeah, you said it. must be true. You know, the the wisdom of the Bereans and Acts was that they searched the Scriptures how often? Daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. 
Okay, so so if you are getting the person to believe everything you have said, you have failed. Okay, you want them to follow Christ. You want them to follow. You want them to be a good student of the Scriptures. So so help them to to learn the same way that you've learned how to to study the Scriptures and to see if these things are true. What you don't want is someone who becomes so dependent on you that they stop living faith, faithfully after they stop meeting with you. You know, what happens if if you as the discipler, um, you know, get killed in a car accident or something? Would your discipling friend continue to pursue faithfulness or would they just say, I can't, I can't do it anymore? My my discipling relationship is, is over. And so what you want to produce in someone is someone who, yes, they... they um, they have a relationship with you. They have some confidence in you. But at the same time, they are eagerly pursuing the things of God because they are personally studying the Bible themselves. They are personally praying to God. They are understanding and growing in the knowledge of the truth. That's what the Apostle Paul says to, to do. That, or When he prays for believers, he says, I pray that they would grow in all, all knowledge of the Scriptures and all spiritual understanding. And uh, that's one of the highest things that we can that we can pursue in life is a greater understanding of God's Word. Number seven, uh, or the third one here for the disciple, trusting you too easily, taking your word for truth without thinking about it. Your your friend might turn to you for the truth without considering it themselves. Um, this this kind of thing happens a lot. That that we don't want to go into the the, the difficult task of studying God's Word on a specific issue. So if we have a question on something, our first thought is not, let's see what God's Word said about this. Let's pray to God and ask Him what, what um, or, or tell Him what I'm thinking here and then ask Him how He's going to respond. Instead, the first thing is to go to somebody else and say, how, you know, uh, what do you think about this? Um, and so... At times, what can happen is your discipling friend might have an extreme and exclusive allegiance to you rather than to God. And so if you know that that's the case, they've put a high degree of trust in you, be careful about the example that you set and the advice that you give. Again, um, I think back to the last one, the idea here is to teach them how to how to make decisions for themselves, how to make decisions with the help of God um, that, now, you don't want them to, to completely ignore you. I mean, Proverbs is clear that we need to be seeking wise counsel, that, that the fool doesn't listen to, to instruction. So we're not trying to get them out on an island where they can just make decisions on their own with, you know, regardless of anybody else's thoughts. No, we want them to, to be continuing to seek wise counsel. We just don't want them completely dependent on that. So encourage them to examine everything with the light of Scripture. Remember Galatians 1, 8 and 9, where Paul says, listen, if anyone comes to you with the Gospel other than the one that I gave you, then let him be accursed. Even if it's an angel or you know, me, an apostle, if anyone comes to you with a different Gospel, then let that person be accursed. So, so you need to check. Okay? You have responsibility. 1 Timothy 3.15, You, the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Right? It is the church who 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 needs to to um, check these things um, against the scriptures. We can't just blindly follow any fallen human being. Okay, can't blindly follow. We should follow uh, fallen human beings because God has set up the the um, 
the church and obviously families in that way and government and so on, but but blindly follow is the key there. All right, any questions on some of these dangers? All right. Let's finish with the joys of discipling. Um, the joys of discipling. And we have several here. Five, I think. Number one, we cultivate a taste for the pleasure of discipling. Despite what we may know about the dangers associated with discipling relationships, we must remember that discipling is a great joy. That it is a pleasure to be used by God as a tool in His hand, as a source of spiritual encouragement that produces significant and lasting fruit in the life of another human being. And if you have entered into this type of relationship, you know what that feels like. You know that sense of being used by God to to advance someone else in in the faith. So, let me ask you, is this a pleasure for which you have cultivated a taste and enjoyment? Many people spend a considerable, uh, a considerable amount of time working to acquire a taste for things like sushi or caviar or a dozen other things that are limited uh, have limited or no worth at all okay in terms of eternity but but have you worked to acquire a taste a capacity for enjoyment in the things that are of greatest worth that the things that are of eternal worth have you cultivated a capacity to enjoy the pleasure of discipling okay remember one of our earlier classes one of the reasons that we disciple is yes for God's glory but the second reason i think was for our joy that's not a bad thing that you should desire that sort of thing to to uh, increase in joy in God discipling another person means that you are a conduit used by God to pour spiritual encouragement into another human life and so if you're a genuine christian you should have the capacity in you to find some of the greatest satisfaction in this specific pleasure so you need to make a choice to decide that you're going to work to find some of your foolish joy in the expression of of a discipling relationship. This is a natural thing that should be happening, supernatural thing that should be happening within the life of believers. That one of the the main thing that Jesus told us when he left was to make disciples. It's a church wide thing that we make disciples, but I think each individual needs to be involved in that uh in some way. And and again I think uh Sometimes we we might overly um, we might make it overly programmatic that okay we have to have a program we have to have a, but sometimes it can be as simple as you know what kind of encouragement are you offering to someone who is who is in this church number two savor the joy of seeing your church prosper what is a, a lifestyle that is steeped in a commitment to discipling through your local church has this significant joy that, that you can be a part of seeing the whole church progress in the faith. Not only will your commitment to discipling potentially bless the individual that you're spending time with, but there's also a very good likelihood that you're going to 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 bless the church itself. Right? That that as a whole, we as a church will will benefit from your work. That's why we are like members of a body that we all have different functions.
functions, but I think each of us can contribute to the body with regard to specifically this area of discipling. A church full of relationships where Christians are are caring for and taking responsibility for each other will almost certainly be a more healthy church overall. When we have individuals who are concerned about seeing other people grow in the faith, then the whole church will benefit from that. Um, so you're not just helping one person. You are building up the whole body of Christ. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And just to remind that kind of this classic passage on on being used by God within the context of the local church. Verse 11 says, And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So, it's not, uh, it's not the pastor's job to do all of the work of the service, but it is to equip others to do the work of the service so that the whole body would be built up. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we have this goal that we're all going to grow up together in unity, in knowledge, in truth, in faith. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming. So how is it that we avoid being infantile in our spiritual thinking? How is it that we avoid being tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine? You know, you know, every every time someone comes with a new idea, a new doctrine, you're like, oh yeah, that sounds right. And how do we avoid that kind of idea when, when, especially when those doctrines are false? Well, verse 15 gives us the answer. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, for whom, uh, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we have all these goals here. Verse 13, unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, making us a mature man, you know, putting us to a place where the measure of the stature belongs to the fullness of Christ. That Verse 15, that we are growing up into all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Um, and the end of verse 16, that we cause the growth of the body. And the way that we do that, the way that we avoid being... Uh, immature in our spiritual understanding in our spiritual growth is that we speak the truth verse 15 speak the truth to one another in love that we 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 supply whatever we can as a joint verse 16 according to the proper working of notice that verse that that phrase there verse 16 according to the proper working of each individual part not a one is missed that every single one of us Need to have a responsibility. Need to recognize our responsibility and use that responsibility to to invest it into the life of another. So savor the joy of watching the church prosper spiritually. Number three, savor the joy of being fruitful in the work of God. I hope that all of us desire to see 
fruit come from our own individual obedience and labor for God's work. But one of the most clearly fruitful things that we can do in our efforts for the for uh, the work of God is to encourage another person in their own discipleship. We know that God intends to keep and preserve those who are His till the end. And we know that God will do that through means. That no one floats uh, on a flowery bed of ease to heaven. It, it happens through work. And so, um, the means by which He has chosen to bring that person onto glory to to finish what He started in them, to persevere them, to cause them to persevere to the end, the means by which He's done that is through relationships, through uh, preaching, through Bible reading, and fellowship of discipling relationships. And so if you want to increase the potential of your own life being fruitful, uh, then begin to build discipling relationships. We've seen this throughout the series that God says He will use this means of discipling relationships to build us up in His church. So would you consider involving yourself in God's plan for your friends here in this church, that you would be a source of encouragement and blessing for them? I don't know if God will redeem our culture, you know, the American culture, or cause my favorite politically political party to prevail. I don't know if my... Uh, you know, if my acumen or whatever in in my secular job will produce a great amount of wealth that I can bring and, and help with the church, or if, if my, uh, you know, if you're in medical research, that it will eliminate some vast human suffering. But I do know that God intends to grow and bless His people through the encouragement of other Christians. So, if you want to play the odds, so to speak, on what is most likely to result in good and lasting fruit from your life, then engage in a discipling relationship. In our fallen state, every good thing has the potential for misuse and certainly discipling is no exception. Still, there is no denying that this should be a source of pleasure for a genuine Christian. To to be able to look back on years that were spent in diligent labor at discipling and then being able to see the fruit and to see that, that, that the life that you had expended Paul says, you know, I, I, I am willing to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel. Um, this is a real and lasting pleasure. This is something like the farmer experiences after he's done so many work, not just this season, but over the past several seasons because he has just made the soil, he's made the soil just right and he's put the proper nutrients in the soil and he's, he's cultivated just properly. He's given it the right of, amount of, of rest and so on and eventually he, he's able to see the fruit that he wants. The, the crop comes after years of labor. And and that's a lasting pleasure uh, that, that we can have in a discipling relationship. It's not the temporary pleasures of this world that fade in a few months or a few years. But actually, when you are fruitful in your discipling relationship, that's the kind of le- pleasure that will still be bringing our hearts joy to rejoice in God's kindness and using us for His glory even 10,000 years from now and beyond. So savor the joy of being fruitful in the work of God. Number four, savor the joy of seeing a culture of discipling in your church. We want to see a culture of discipling in our church. We don't want to see just one individual saying, okay, this person is spiritually weak. Let's get the the one 
go-to guy, go-to lady in our church, and let's go to that person and make sure that that person stays. We want to see everyone in the church involved in discipling relationships. Why is the culture of discipling important? Well, we want to see entire communities defined by biblical markers. Um, you know, our culture in America encourages the individual pursuit of our desires. It, can, it, it encourages the kind of the individualism mentality, kind of the rogue, uh, lone ranger type mentality. But Christianity actually encourages something that is completely different. That is a corporate uh, pursuit of God's desires. That we can't go at this this task alone. We we cannot fight all the battles that we have in the Christian life alone. We need each other. We need to be helping each other, encouraging one another, helping the weak. We need to be warning the unruly. And so we should seek to uh, to change the culture here at our church to a, a culture of discipling. And that, that will bring about great joy. Number five, uh, the discipleship of a future discipler. Here's what you should desire. Turn to Second Timothy 2.2. 2. So if you want to kind of think of the end goal, um, like where is this all going? I mean, how do I know when there is fruit in the other person's life? Well, Second Timothy 2.2 2 is a verse that uh, I used to write on, on my yearbook when I was in school. And uh, I'll, let's read the verse and then I'll show you the one that I kind of mis- I, I wrote the wrong number. <coughs> um, 2.2. Second Timothy two two the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these the faithful men will be able to teach others also so this mentality that Paul is teaching Timothy Timothy is teaching other believers and he's expecting other believers to teach others there's kind of four generations of of discipling going on you have Paul to Timothy Timothy to others do you see that in the text there the things which you have heard from me that's Paul in the presence of many witnesses so he's talking to Timothy. Then he says, you, Timothy, entrust these to faithful men. That's the third level. And then, so that these faithful men will be able to teach others also. That's the fourth level. Okay, so he wants this to be a kind of a consistent thing that's happening. So the, the verse that I uh, accidentally wrote down in several of the yearbooks, hopefully they never go back and look at these, is actually 2 Timothy 2.22. And it says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. And so these people think, well, what do they know about me? You know, what does this guy know about me? So make sure you got your texts correct when you write them down in the yearbooks. Is the moral of the story there. All right, so, so the goal here in the, in the discipling relationship is that you want to see them advance to a place where they're actually helping disciple others so that they're not constantly just feeding off of you and, and your wisdom and your help helping of them to, to grow, but but you're seeing them become a feeder, okay? become a discipler of someone else. So yes, you should take great joy in seeing them grow and seeing them move on from a place where they weren't before. But, but how great would it be if they were able to pass on some of the wisdom that they have learned from the Scriptures to someone else? That's what you're looking for. And we want this perpetual discipleship that's going on. So so that doesn't happen automatically. Okay, I hope you recognize that. That it takes work on our part. It takes thought and effort to plan and to do this. 
And so we, we can't just kind of show up at church and say, well, hope, hope discipling happens today. It's something that we need to give ourselves to, just like the farmer gives himself to the soil. All right? So some con- concluding thoughts. Number one, discipling is the work of the church, not just leaders. Okay, I tried to make this clear that it's not the job of the pastor and prominent people at the church to do discipling. So you kind of just, well, you know, I, I give my offering, so the offering should help pay for discipling to happen. You know, that, that's not the idea. Instead, the Scriptures call us, Ephesians 4, I think makes it very clear, that we, the passage we just looked at, that it is according to each individual part as each joint supplies to the needs of the body that we, each one of us, ought to be speaking the truth to one another in love. So discipling is not just for leaders. Number two, a greater emphasis on discipling starts with you. So maybe you're thinking, man, this this is really good for some people that I can think of right now. That There are some people that could really use this. And yet... The, the the emphasis on discipling needs to start with you. If all of this sounds good to you, then realize it's it's probably God's Spirit working in you um, to to work in this way. So don't walk away from this class thinking, you know, this is great. I hope more people at our church do these things. Walk away thinking, what can God do? God, what can you do to help me be a catalyst in someone else's life? How can you use me to help someone else grow in the faith? Um, and maybe it means you writing down what you're going to say to start a relationship. So you have somebody in mind, you've been praying about it, you've been thinking about it, and just say, hey, listen, would you be willing to read through the book of Ephesians over the next four weeks with me? And we'll just meet, pick a time. And maybe you need to write down what, so you don't feel like it's just kind of off the cuff. Or maybe you need to feel that person out a little bit by you know, checking on um, them spiritually. Um, okay, but but I think making a plan and doing it is not something that's going to automatically happen. You need to think about it and um, and then and then put it into action. Number three, don't stop growing in your own discipleship of Christ. Okay, so for all of us, it means deliberately seeking to know more and more the truth of the gospel and. Uh, and the recognition that we still are not where we ought to be. Okay, don't stop growing yourself. Don't stop making yourself accountable to other believers. Um, make sure that you're being nourished spiritually by being uh, under the preaching of God's Word, by reading God's Word for yourself and thinking about it, meditating on it. Um, if you're not studying God's Word for yourself, but only using it to feed others, it's like the you know, it's like the eagle mother who brings the food to the child but never eats any for herself. Or the pregnant mother who recognizes that, hey, I'm I'm feeding myself, but I'm also feeding someone else. Okay, I, I have a responsibility for more than just myself. So don't, like when you go to the Scriptures and you're studying, don't always think, okay, this one would really be good for someone else. Instead, think, okay, what is God teaching me? And as you start to learn those things, it, you'll be able to very easily help others. Don't don't you don't have to constantly thinking, okay, what's going to drive at their sin? So um, instead, think, how's God speaking to me? Um, so continue in your own growth, and then finally, seek out people and opportunities to encourage others. Recognize that this is not going to happen without 
God's work. But it's also not going to happen without your work. Okay? God works through means. He brings about His purposes through individual people. And so much of the New Testament is drenched in this, these twin truths of God's sovereign control, His sovereignty over all things, and this command for us to use our human effort to accomplish what He's calling us to do. And that's the same thing that is true about discipling. It is unlikely that you'll be fruitful in discipling just by chance. Just by chance. So, you need to deliberately seek out people and opportunities. So, as I've been talking, maybe you're already thinking of a person or two that you could enter into a relationship with. Again, you can't do this with every single person. Okay, no, no one's able to do that, and that's why we all need each other. But, but some of us, each of us, should be able to do at least one person. Look for someone to encourage. Plot out how you can be a spiritual blessing to them. Think about how you can have a fruitful conversation with them. Um, that's what it means to be a real discipler. Someone who's actively seeking the spiritual well-being of another person, seeking to have them grow up in the grace and wisdom of God's Word. And uh, th- that's not going to happen by chance. So seek out people and opportunities to encourage others. All right, each of us have, because we have the Spirit of God in us, we have the ability to be a spiritual encouragement to others. Okay, we, we have the resources that we need for life and godliness. We have the resources to be a proper disciple. So, what are we going to do with that? For the sake of your joy, your personal good, the good of other people within this church, and for the good of the church as a whole, and of course for the glory of God, go out and be a discipler. Any questions? All right. So, I assume you understand it and agree. All right. Let's pray and we will be dismissed. Father, thank You for the great wealth of wisdom that You've given to us in Your Word. Thankful that we do not have to go at this task alone. We're thankful for other people who have discipled us. And uh, Lord, we pray that You'd help us to be faithful in our task of encouraging others in the faith and challenging them about sin and, and of strengthening them by, by showing them the great promises from Your Word. And we pray that we would not grow weary in well-doing so that in due season we will... Um, we will reap if we faint not. So help us, we pray, in this task and may it uh, make our church more more uh, perfect, a bride for our Savior who deserves nothing less. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.